thank you uh, once again for allowing me to uh, share from God's word. And uh, wow, Joseph, uh, isn't he a great guy? Um, and I tell you what, Raph wasn't wrong. It, it, pretty hard to cram somebody's life in 25 minutes, isn't it? It's, uh, we, have, we have so much that we can learn from Joseph. And uh, I've entitled it, Joseph, Man of Integrity, Living God's Will. Is that first slide up there, Andrew? Oh, I've got to do it. Oh, no. Okay. Joseph, man of integrity, living for God's will. Well, the life of Joseph continues the theme of the fulfilment of God's promise to Abraham, found back in Genesis 12 where God says to him, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And, uh, you know, as people of God, the people around us should be blessed through us. The promise continues with the birth of Isaac in chapter 22, uh, chapter 21 of Genesis and then through to chapter 25 when Jacob comes on the scene. Jacob marries Leah and Rachel in chapter 29. I think most of you would be familiar with the story. I'm not going to go into detail there. And together each of their maid servants, the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel, are born. Now, Joseph, who is born to Rachel, is the 11th son of Jacob, and later, Rachel also has a son, uh, which is by the name of Benjamin. So from chapter 37, we have the account of an inspiring young man, a young man called Joseph, a man of integrity and a pure heart, with a character of nobility as ruler and brother. But let me ask you a question first. Just by show of hands, how many of you would say that your life has turned out exactly how you dreamt it or how you thought it would turn out? Nobody. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, that's the same for me because I thought I was going to be a big bodybuilder one day and as you can see... <laughs> don't laugh, Raph, it's not that funny. <laughs> I did two years of bodybuilding. <laughs> it, it didn't quite work. <laughs> Okay, all right. Well, the, the reality of life is that it doesn't always work out how we think it will. Uh, the reality is that life doesn't always work out the way it's the way we plan it. Uh, and Proverbs nineteen twenty one says this: "Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails." And you know what? Sometimes life isn't funny. It can be extremely challenging. When that happens, there are a few ways we can respond. We can get bitter and disillusioned where we may turn to substances and, and things like that which will numb the disappointment or think that will numb it. Or we can get closer to God and grow through the experience. The difference has everything to do with the way we view God and that's where Joseph's story takes us. Now, another thing is that God never intended polygamy. He gave Adam one wife 
and anything more than one wife doesn't turn out well. And you'll see in the story, because Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, Joseph becomes Joseph, who's born to Rachel, becomes his favourite son. And it says from Genesis 37 onwards, he asks Joseph to spy on his brothers. He shows him special love by making him a richly ornamented robe. Well, that sends his brothers in a fit of jealousy and anger. You know, when as parents we show favouritism over one sibling over another, it's fraught with danger. And to this, add to this that God sends two dreams. The first one predicts that Joseph is going to rule one day over his brothers. That wasn't heard of. And the second, of course, he was going to rule over his parents. The result of the first one is that Joseph's brothers despise him and basically want to kill him. Interestingly, though, Jacob rebukes Joseph over the second dream, but Jacob keeps the matter in mind. That's found in 37.11. Now, this is very similar to the treasured thought that Mary had of her son, young boy, Jesus, when he stayed behind with the teachers at the Temple of Jerusalem. That's found in Luke 2. Sometimes it's these inner thoughts which help us get a glimpse of God's will in the circumstances of life. So Joseph is sent to check on his brothers. They're already planning their attack. Their plan, of course, was to kill him. But Reuben persuades them to throw him in a pit alive, intending to come back later and rescue him. Sometimes it takes the sensibility of an older head to act as a deliverer. So they stripped off his robe, threw him into the system and casually sat down and ate lunch. A short time later, it appears that Reuben may have wandered off somewhere else. This allows Judah, the next brother, to convince his brothers to sell Joseph for 20 pieces of silver to a passing caravan of Ishmaelite leader, uh, traders. So once they've done that, they've conjured up this, this plan when they got back, returning home with Joseph's coat ripped, dipped in goat's blood and deceiving their father, telling him that a wild animal had devoured him. And it says that Jacob mourned deeply for his son Joseph. Now, while Joseph grieved, the Ishmaelite traders had taken Joseph to Egypt, sold him to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, and he was the captain of the guard. Now, there are three periods in Joseph's life described in Egypt. The first one is in Potiphar's house from Genesis 39, 1 to 20. The second is in prison from Genesis 39, 21 up to chapter 40, verse 23, and then in the palace from Genesis 20, uh, 41 onwards. Now, these three episode focuses directly on Joseph. It's a long part of Genesis, but it's, it's, it can show us six ways to Joseph how he honours how he honours God. There they are. There, honesty with godly influence, resisting temptation, trusting God, being patient, honour God, and be forgiving. So let's look at the first one. 
Honesty with godly influence. Joseph has two things going for him. Firstly, the Lord is with him. In addition to the divine presence, Joseph is a diligent worker, one who impresses his master and, and he's with his conscientious sincerity. Joseph quickly went from being an ordinary slave to overseeing everything except for Potiphar's food. And through him, Potiphar enjoyed that blessing. Joseph's desire was to please the Lord more than anything else. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22 to obey our earthly masters in everything and do it not only when the boss is watching but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. You know, it's amazing uh, when I got back to work after the uh, the break, I, I noticed that there's a lot of testing on the floor to be done and there's young guys just walking around, having a chat, doing nothing. It's amazing what doesn't happen when the bosses are away. No work was getting done. When the Lord is with you, you are representing him and we need to represent him at the best of our ability. And keep in mind that if we want to change the world, we first need to change ourselves. Second, oh, no, it's not moving there, thank you. Resistance to temptation, keep yourself pure. Now, Joseph's loyalty to his master was supremely demonstrated when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. She finds herself romantically drawn by this young, handsome Hebrew and pursues Joseph with a direct approach. But Joseph responds equally straightforward in refusing. Firstly, it would be a disservice to his master because he's had his master has started to trust him. Secondly, and more importantly, it would be a sin against God. It is Joseph's commitment to a high moral principle that keeps him free from having an affair. How different is he to King David? And in a last-ditch attempt to get back at Joseph for rejecting her, she's left holding the cloak in her hand as Joseph flees So she spreads the vicious lie that Joseph tried to have his way with her. You know, when we face sexual temptation, we cannot reason with it. We can't even stand there and quote Bible verses. All we can do is run. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, it says this, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. Third, trust in God. As Lee mentioned earlier, the Bible tells the lives of real people in real life situation. Joseph has experienced bullying from his brothers, undeserved slavery, loss of reputation now, And he's now put in prison because of false accusation. But he didn't allow his physical confinement in jail to live under emotional or spiritual stress and anxiety. Joseph chose 
to trust in God. And while he was in prison, in Genesis 39 and 21, it says that the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. You know, it's a bit like just keep moving forward. Even in prison, Joseph is productive and quickly given authority. Now, here's a little bit of a side thought. We don't know why Potiphar put Joseph in jail rather than execute him, because that would have been the punishment of the day. It raises a few questions from a human perspective. Did Potiphar doubt his wife's story? Had she done something like this before? Or maybe Potiphar trusted Joseph more than he trusted his wife. But it's all part of God's plan, isn't it? The Lord never leaves you in times of persecution. And in Deuteronomy 31 and 6, it says, The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul reminds us also in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11 to be content whatever the circumstance. That's hard. But here's something even harder. Learning to be patient. Sometime later, Pharaoh's cupbearer and the baker were thrown into prison with Joseph. They both had dreams relating to their positions. Joseph acknowledges that the interpretation of dreams belongs to God and offers offers to help them. Now, interestingly, dreams are common, but there's only two places in the Old Testament where one person interprets another's dream, and they are here and in Daniel, where Daniel interprets King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And both of them interpret dreams of non-Israelite people. Now, after interpreting the dreams of his fellow prisoners, Joseph kindly asks, can you put in a good word for me to the king? Well... Unfortunately, the cupbearer forgot Joseph. He forgot all about him. Unfortunately, it's times like that when, you know, when you rely, have you relied on people or someone to do something for you only to be let down? I know I've let down a lot of people too. Psalm 146 and 3 tells us, do not put your trust in princes, in mortal man who cannot save. God tested Joseph in honesty and in purity and now it seems he was to learn about patience. It's one of the hardest tests because there's a danger of taking things into our own hands. We saw that with Abraham and Sarah. Sarah. Our trust should always be in God and trust in his timing, not ours. There are many verses in scripture that point us to wait patiently and trust in him. Psalm 37 and 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Honouring God. For two whole years, the cupbearer had forgotten Joseph until Pharaoh has two dreams. Now, most of you will be familiar with the dreams, the seven fat cows and then the seven ugly and gaunt cows, together with the seven healthy heads of grain and then the seven 
thin and scrawny heads of grain. Now, Pharaoh, interestingly, calls all the magicians and all the wise men in Egypt to interpret the dreams, but none could do it. The cupbearer unexpectedly remembers, oh, there was a young Hebrew while I was in prison. He interpreted my dream and that of the chief baker. So Pharaoh immediately sends for Joseph. Now, notice how Joseph answers when Pharaoh asked, I have heard that you can interpret dreams. Joseph gives God the glory. I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer. Do we sometimes take the credit for what God has done? It's a tricky one, that one, isn't it? But Joseph reveals seven years of abundance and seven years of famine and proposes a food storage and distribution plan to save Egypt. Pharaoh needed a man of wisdom to execute this plan. But Joseph doesn't ask for the job as overseer. He didn't ask for his freedom. And he doesn't even mention all the injustice done to him. Joseph spoke directly, honestly, and for God's glory. He never placed himself among the discerning and wise, as it says in Genesis 41 and 33. He was humble. He was humble. Now, Pharaoh clearly could see the insight and skill and recognise Joseph's God-given qualities. So in an unexpected move, Pharaoh promotes Joseph to the position of overseer of the food distribution program as well as the position of second-in-command of the entire land of Egypt. Wow! From the prison to the palace, eh? Through this example, we should be encouraged to trust in God who is faithful and never that he will never forget us even in times when we're waiting. But when we are brought through these testing times, we should resist the temptation to forget the suffering and the waiting, but rather stay on our knees thanking God for the blessing. And then for the sixth one, forgiving. After seven years of abundance, there is now a famine which is widespread and severe, even to the land of Canaan where Jacob and his, and his brothers lived. Jacob prompts his sons to go down to Egypt to buy some grain. Joseph's brothers come down to Egypt. This is their first of three visits. Joseph recognised his brothers, but they did not recognise him. You'd see it had been more than 20 years since they'd seen Joseph, but Joseph now was clean-shaven. He wore Egyptian clothes and he spoke through them. He spoke to them through an interpreter. Joseph embarks what would seem to be a vengeful tact. He pretends he's a stranger and speaks harshly to them. He then accuses them of being spies and he puts them in prison for three days. Then he tests their integrity by insisting that one of the brothers stay behind for them to go back to Canaan and bring back their youngest brother, which was Benjamin. At this point, the brothers feel a sense of divine judgment after their guilty consciences reminds them of their sin. Now, Charles Swindle makes a quote on this matter 
and I'll quote that, he says, God often, often awakens our conscience when we experience similar treatment we once gave to someone else. I'll just read that again. This is from Chuck, uh, uh, Charles Swindle. God often awakens our conscience when we experience similar treatment we once gave someone else. On the, on the second visit to Egypt, Joseph's brothers need to convince Jacob that they need to take Benjamin with him. It requires some persuasion, but Jacob reluctantly agrees. On arrival, the brothers get very nervous because they're invited to Joseph's house. But Joseph was excited to see his little brother. As he mingles among the brothers, emotion gets the better of him and he has to leave the room and regain his composure. He then arranges for the food to be brought out. The next morning, as they're leaving with Simeon, Benjamin and the food supplies, they are horrified that in Joseph's sack, uh, sorry, in Benjamin's sack, Joseph's silver cup is found and that was set up by Joseph. They believe that all this is happening because of divine retribution. And then in chapter 44, verses 18 to 34, we see one of the most moving speeches in scripture when Judah pleads for Benjamin for the sake of his father Jacob. Remember, Jacob has lost Joseph, or has thought he has, and the only other son he had with Rachel was Benjamin. So he offers to take the place of Benjamin. This is quite a different Judah that we read about in chapter 38. Finally, Joseph could see that they were sensitive to other people's needs. That they would stand with Benjamin regardless of the cost. That they were willing to give up their life for their little brother. Then beginning at chapter 45, Joseph could no longer control himself and burst into tears and tells them, I am Joseph. Wow, can you imagine the shock? Joseph revealed a sensitivity toward God and a deep compassion towards his brothers. A lesser man would have punished the brothers for what they'd done, but he knew his brothers felt overwhelmed with anxiety and guilt. So Joseph responded with compassion. Do not be distressed and do not be angry. And he reminds them twice that it was God who sent him to Egypt to save lives from the famine. He then makes arrangements to have Jacob and his entire family brought back to Egypt Let me ask you this question. How could Joseph show so much forgiveness and kindness after what his brothers did to him? He maintained a godly perspective during his trials of life. And we need to do that. He truly lived out Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. You know, even after 
their father Jacob died. Joseph's brothers still needed reassurance. They thought, oh, now that he's gone, he's, gonna, he's really going to get us. But Joseph reassures them again. And a very often, often quoted verse, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph, Joseph's life offers us a wonderful picture of the grace of God, doesn't it? As he comes to our rescue in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And like Joseph's guilty brothers come to Joseph, we come to God. And as we feel distance and fear the worst, God demonstrates his incredible mercy and generosity. You know, instead of being blamed, we are forgiven. We've been talking about that this morning, haven't we? Instead of being imprisoned by guilt, we are freed. And instead of experiencing the punishment which we deserve, we are invited to sit at his table and be served more than what we can take in. Let me pray. Father, there's so much more in the life of Joseph which can uh, we can learn from. But this morning, Father, we give you thanks and praise how it points towards Jesus. We thank you, Father, that we are reminded of what your son Jesus did on the cross for us. That we didn't suffer the suffering that your son Jesus did. He took the blame. And he took the, uh, the death for us. He was the ransom. He was the lamb. And Father, we are so grateful to you for what you have done for us. You have bought us from the pit and stood us upon a rock. And we give you thanks and praise in his precious name. Amen.